to the book of Ephesians as we are working our way through the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. It has been uh, two weeks since we've been in the book of Ephesians, but uh, we're going to just pick up here in verse 15 of chapter 5 and uh, move on down through our text. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, just by way of a little bit of review, we get to chapter 4, and it is walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And uh, Paul illustrates for us very thoroughly that there is only one faith. There's only one God. I, uh, I never fail to uh, not really be amused, but to think when people say, oh, we all, there's only one God. That is correct. But are you serving him or an imitation? That is the question. And the only way we can tell the truth is by measuring your God, your ideal of God, by what is written in the Scriptures. This tells us about the one true living God. He has one church, not 55 different varieties. Oh, Heinz has 57 different varieties, right? Uh, but how come they only put one in the bottle? Uh, that's uh, uh, always been one of those little questions that will never be answered. Uh, the, uh, 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 but the point being is we try to listen to what goes on in the world at large. And I, I will tell you, if you can make sense of what's going on, see me afterwards. I'd like to find out. Uh, I mean, there's just so much that is nonsense in, in our world today. Would you agree with me on that? And, and if we're going to walk worthy of the Lord, if we're going to be a part of that one body, that one faith, if we are going to worship that one God, we had better spend some time in this book. And as we spend time in this book, we're going to find out about something as we go through chapter 4. That is the church. There's only one church. God has put uh, given gifts of individuals to that church. There is a work there. Uh, a perfecting of the saints. The work of the ministry. Verse 12. The edifying of the body of Christ. And when... Uh, God is explaining how the church operates. He uses the picture here in Ephesians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, also in Romans chapters 12 and 13. He pictures the human body. Now, your body's got a lot of parts. 
I, I have this vague memory of uh, uh, when I was in uh, grade school, which was many years ago, or beginning biology, that the human body had like five billion cells. Now it's like ten trillion and uh, I don't think I've put on that much weight, but uh, I think we've discovered just a little more of how intricate we are. And yet all of these cells that make up this body, all you have to do is get a very tiny splinter under your index fingernail, Oh, it just makes you shiver to think about it. And your whole body, all 10 trillion cells, if that is true, are in a total uproar because of a little tiny piece of wood that you need a magnifying glass to see. You know what God's trying to teach us? That the church is to be connected. It's a physical Connection. That's why we reject this universal, invisible idea of a church. It's not found in the Bible. What is found in the Bible is a local, visible assembly. And it is supposed to, the goal in verse 16 is the edifying of itself in love. And then in verse 17 he says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth Walk not as other Gentiles walk. Now, Paul is moving his pictures, and he is going to be dealing with walking uh, from uh, the beginning of chapter 4 all the way through uh, till we get to uh, verse 22 of chapter 5, where we hope to end tonight. He, he is telling us to walk worthy of the vocation, He is telling us that our walk ought not be as other Gentiles walk, that we need to be very careful. And and the latter part of Ephesians chapter 4 would solve 90% of the conflicts in your life. And the other 10% are going to be taken care of in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, That's why I use Ephesians 4 and 5 if, uh, if... you get married in this church, uh, we've sat down across the desk and we've gone through Ephesians 4 and 5. This is the basis. This is how we ought to walk and how we ought to live. And verse 1 of chapter 5 was our theme verse for last year. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And Paul says he wants us to walk in love. Now, that is a very wonderful saying. But can we allow the Bible to define love? It's not just a warm, ushy-gushy feeling inside. That's oatmeal. Amen? Uh, Love is God. God is love. 1 John chapter 4. Twice it's there. And if we're going to walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And Paul is going to finish this idea in verse 22, if we ever get started on our text tonight, is Jesus did what he did in his earthly ministry 
not for his benefit, but for our benefit. And he wants us to live our lives not for our benefit, but for the benefit of those that will hear the gospel. Uh, either through our missions giving or through our track passing or through uh, 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 just a conversation and contact that we are able to have. And, and then he goes through here and explains that this idea of covetousness is one of the terms here. Verse 5, it says, For this we know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, if we take the Bible at face value, there's an awful lot of people who call themselves Christians that are not going to end up on the right side of eternity. And uh, that is lined up with Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, one of the themes all through the Bible is, listen, we can be deceived. And the greatest deceiver that you face is not the devil. It's yourself. Because no one wants to believe bad things about themselves. Isn't that true? Uh, we, we like to think well of ourselves and, and people spend thousands of dollars and, and uh, they've built entire hospitals all designed here to help you think better uh, about bad things that you do. When the Bible has the cure, it is surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is salvation in grace, in God's uh, by God's grace through faith in His Word. And verse 11 tells us, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Uh, it, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Do you remember what it was like in your life before you were saved? You did not understand what the Bible taught. You, you thought, and as you begin to understand, the only thing that happened was uh, fear that somehow... Uh, I might die before I deal with this issue of salvation and miss out on heaven as the Holy Spirit began to move you in uh, toward Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, you understood. Read First Peter, uh, yes, chapter 1. It talks about that we do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, as a little glimmer of light. And then Jesus will fill our lives. And when we see our sinfulness, we get saved. And then we take that light to the world in which we live. And as we do that, here's how it has to happen. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now, He's telling us to walk worthy, 
walk not as the Gentiles. He is telling us that uh, um, we are to walk in love. And now he's telling us to walk circumspectly, to walk wisely. Now, that word circumspectly is uh, not a word that we use very much in modern English, but it's one, if you live in New York City, uh, that you pay a lot of attention to. Uh, I remember a pastor friend of mine in Missouri said, what is it with you New Yorkers? She says, you're always looking down. And I said, you need to understand something. There are things there to see on the sidewalk that you don't want to step in. Open manhole covers and inconsiderate pet owners and uh, uh, chewing gum and all kinds. I said, we're watching constantly. Uh, That's what the word circumspectly means. In fact, I was in a seminar a couple months ago given by uh, the NYPD. And he was saying the number one thing that has stopped terrorist activity in New York City is New Yorkers paying attention to what's going on around us. I said, wow, that's pretty good. Uh, That's something that we can do. That's something that we should do as Christians. We need to, and here's the textbook definition, Oxford English Dictionary, of things or actions Marked by circumspection, showing caution, well-considered, cautious of persons, watchful on all sides, attentive to everything, cautious, heedful of all circumstances that may affect action or decision. The Bible tells us that we are to walk as wise. If we're going to walk as wise, we're going to have to walk circumspectly. Uh, the Apostle Paul is using a, a phrase here and translated into the English. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly. Now, he's calling our attention. He's saying, listen, you, you, you need to write this down. You need to pay attention here. You need to understand as you walk through life, you must pay attention. Now, how many times have we gotten in trouble just not paying attention. How many times have you gotten on the subway heading in the wrong direction? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, but the whole thing was you weren't reading the signs. I, I mean, that's what I tell people who visit the city. Uh, I said, if you will do one thing, and I know this sounds trite and childish, but if you will carefully read all the signs, you can safely ride the New York City subways. Really? I said, but there's a lot of signs. And you need to read them. Yeah, you need to read all of them. Uh, or you're going to end up going the wrong way. And that's never a pleasant thing because you just don't always have the opportunity to get back on where you got off heading in the right direction. Uh, uh, sometimes you have to pay a double fare. Sometimes uh, you need to go several stations down, but... It says that the foolish person does not walk circumspectly, does not pay attention. It says not as fools, but as wise. So, what do we pay attention to? I remember years ago, just when our church was starting, uh, I was passing out tracts and a 
a fellow came in. He said, listen, I, I want to help you. He said, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I, I, I live here in the city. And I'm going, okay, we can always use some help. But, uh, and, and then he starts it. See that guy over there? He's a drug dealer. You see that woman over there? Uh, she's doing bad things. And, and this person over here and this person over here. And, and I'm going, wow, you're sure paying an awful lot of attention to people. And something hit me a little while later was he's paying attention to all the wrong things. Because half of those people, I walk up in total ignorance and bliss. Can I give you a gospel track? You know what? Because I'm paying attention to what I'm supposed to be doing as a Christian, not to the recipient. We we have a philosophy prevailing today in many churches that... Our, our church ought to be, uh, the phrase they use is seeker-sensitive, that we ought to cater the service to the people. And uh, let me just ask you how that works in real life. When is the last time you went into work and your boss said, Wow, you look tired today. Let me uh, give you a rest and I'll do your work today and I will cater to your needs. Has anybody ever had that happen? Uh, it's never happened here. I mean, I don't have a few workers here, but uh, not a lot. But that, that is not my purpose to cater to those that are working here because people who are working here are supposed to be getting their job done. And, and uh, that attitude will help you when you go to work, won't it? If you're sick... You don't want the doctor catering the cure to your specific needs and desires. You want him catering the cure to getting you well. Whether that requires surgery or treatment of some kind, you want it to work. I was walking down the street uh, just a little while ago or this week and I walked past the doctor's office that I visited and he had performed a surgery in the year 2000. And I said, you know, he's a really good surgeon. Surgeon, because I've never needed it fixed again. And that is a wonderful thing. Uh, listen, it tells us here that we are to pay attention. We are to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Can I challenge you that if we're going to walk circumspectly, uh, the, uh, the writer of Hebrews put it the best, looking, run the race with patience. How are we supposed to do that? Looking unto Jesus. So you've got to be paying attention to the right things. You pay attention, the definition says, heedful of all circumstances that may affect action or Decision. Someone refusing to accept a gospel tract should not affect your decision to pass out gospel tracts. The Bible ought to predetermine that that's what we are supposed to do. And so that is our pattern of behavior. That is our goal, our plan of activity, because... It is the foolish people that are always trying to 
somehow cater to something that doesn't exist. You cannot please people who don't want to serve Christ by tricking them to come into your church and making it a worldly atmosphere that they would enjoy. All you end up doing is making them unhappy because it's not worldly enough for them and making God unhappy because you're doing things with this church that he never intended to be done. It says, redeeming the time. Now, one of the best examples of this, and it would take all of our time tonight just to give you the example, and so I'm just going to do it in a couple of sentences. Go back to your Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath, and just read through those chapters there and read how Saul prosecuted the battle with Goliath versus how David prosecuted the battle with Goliath. You're going to find out that Saul was there for 30 days getting all the men ready for war every morning and marching out to hear Goliath's challenge and then going back to camp. What a waste of time and energy. David hears the challenge and he goes out to meet Goliath and Goliath runs into a very hard object right between his eyes, a stone out of David's sling. And uh, David then takes Goliath's sword and makes contact with a very hard object, the ground. Only Goliath was between uh, the sword and the ground. And the battle was won in hours, whereas Saul had been there for a whole month and nothing good had happened. David redeemed the time. He bought back the time that Saul wasted by walking circumspectly and keeping his eyes on the prize. Uh, uh, Saul was looking at how big Goliath was. David was looking at how big God is. And David had no problems and no fear facing Goliath because he was much more afraid of offending the God that he worshipped by allowing this giant to continue cursing and defying not only God, but all his people. David was walking circumspectly. He was paying attention. Someone said, why did he get five smooth stones? And uh, there's been all kinds of things, because Goliath had four brothers. That's why. No, I don't think so. Uh, David was understanding that Goliath was a man of war, that Goliath was going to avoid. Goliath wasn't going to just stand there and say, okay, take your best shot. Uh, Goliath was going to fight him. And uh, I think David just did a little quick calculation and said, uh, I'm never going to get off five shots at this guy, but I'll at least have enough ammunition to make sure that the job gets done. And, of course, God stepped in and made the first shot count now, didn't he? You see, the Bible becomes very simple. The days are evil. We do not have time to play the part of a fool trying to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be about the master's business. We must uh, take the time that the Lord has allotted us 
and understand that the days are evil. We combat evil in our world not by chasing the evil, but by being obedient to Jesus Christ. You really want to drive the world crazy. Uh, I've often referenced the uh, fellow that was an evolutionist I got into a conversation with. and He said, you, you're just ridiculous. You put God in the equation and everything works. And I said, yeah, that's exactly right. It's that simple. You have to make things so complicated because the entire premise of evolution, the one it rises and falls on, is there is no God. That's the only thing that makes evolution make sense. Otherwise, if there is a God, evolution is total and complete nonsense. No one in their right mind would waste that much time and that much effort doing things wrong when they have the power to do it right the first time. Read the book of Genesis. The morning, the evening, and the morning were the first day. God did it all in six days and rested on the seventh. Now, this next verse, verse 17, says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, that has been a subject uh, of many sermons over the years. The will of God, how you can know God's will uh, for your life. And uh, we don't have time. We spend a whole lesson on this in discipleship as, as we go through every major Bible doctrine. One whole lesson is on discerning God's will, understanding and knowing God's will. It's very simple. There are... Many passages in the Bible, this one tells us, it gives us a command that we're supposed to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, God would be a very cruel God indeed if he tells us this through the Apostle Paul and then makes the will of God this erythreal, mystical thing that's just out there that we can almost touch but never really know. That is blasphemy on the character of God. See, God wants us to know what His will is. God is not willing that any should perish. First thing is salvation. The next thing is baptism. To be baptized the Bible way, which is the entrance to membership in the church, to serving Christ in His body. And I want to challenge you. You find anything between Acts chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 4 that isn't through by four or about a local church. I challenge you, look at your New Testament. See if you can find God's will, God's plan is serving him through his church. God's plan is for you to be thankful. And in fact, Paul's going to address that in just a, a few verses here. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. I think that would qualify you for being wise, would it not? I remember years ago, and, and, and some of the pastors that we fellowship with still talk about this. They say, wow, how in the world did you know to buy that building when you only had a church of 40 people? Man, you must have been a man of great faith. And I'm like, I was there. 
It wasn't great faith. But we had to make a choice. Is the church going to go forward? Or is it going to die? Well, that's not a choice now, is it? And by the way, choosing the building wasn't very difficult because I had studied the zoning map. I I had it memorized. We had looked at, as a church, we had looked at a dozen different properties uh, in earnest, going down to the building department, doing research. This is the only building like this in Central Astoria that didn't belong to a denomination uh, that was already registered as a, a meeting place, as a church. In fact, I had one break bulb at the building department saying, that, that was a synagogue, it's not a church. I said, you need to go home and check your code book. It's the same code. Uh, it, it just, uh, it was, and then I was later informed that uh, uh, that person was well known in the building department and given all of the dead-end, ridiculous calls that nobody else wanted to do. Somebody had complained about our church uh, being here or something. And, and anyway, it was resolved very, very quickly uh, by going over that person's head to the person in charge and just uh, explaining a few things, which you didn't have to reach very high to go over her head. But uh, anyway, we'll get back here to the, to the lesson. The cure for the lack of wisdom or foolishness is knowing what God's will is. That, that's how simple it is. And the cure for fulfilling God's will, look at verse 18, these are all connected here, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I I don't know how many times I've had someone, be be not drunk with wine, well, you know, uh, I, I... I got a little over this time, but that, that's a real exception. Can you give me some money? And I'm like, I'm not giving you money to go out and buy more of whatever it is that puts you in the shape where you are. That, that's not what we're talking about here. But the illustration is one. The application is what controls you. How much alcohol does it take to change your behavior? One serving, actually less than one serving, gets the job done. Okay, uh, my favorite little saying is, I want to be in control of the little bit of sense I do have at all times. I cannot afford. It is not wise to turn that control of my life over to some other substance or person or desire I mean, how many people are controlled by their tempers? Just as controlled as an alcoholic is by the desire for alcohol or a drug addict for the desire for drug. One of the strongest drugs and most powerful drugs in the whole world is pornography. And the Bible here is telling us, if you want to... Understand what the will of the Lord is. If you want to walk circumspectly, you are going to have to be filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, I like the way it was put to me many years ago. 
you get all of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. God saves you. The Holy Spirit is sealing you. The question is, how much control does the Holy Spirit have of you? How much of you does the Holy Spirit have? And this idea, this word of being filled with the Spirit is being totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. And again, the mystics just love to step in and say, the Spirit told me. Uh, No, the Bible told me. That's how you understand the will of the Lord. Amen. That's how you walk circumspectly. You don't walk circumspectly. Looking at everything and everybody around you, you walk circumspectly by paying attention to God and His Word. And He will give you the direction that you need. And then it tells us that we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit and you have to talk to yourself. Now, how many of you be honest and and, and admit that you talk to yourself? I mean, we all do. Whether we want to uh, admit it or not, we all talk to ourselves on a very regular basis. And um, many times, uh, especially if English is your second language, you will speak to yourself in your mother tongue, the language you grew up in, because you understand things and it's much uh, quicker for you to do it that way. And, and the thoughts are just flow easier. And it tells us here that we are to speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, this is the first step. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I mean, I, I could not give testimony tonight to how many times I'll get myself in a situation or somewhere where I have to be somewhere and it is just terrible. And I'm just sitting there uh, surrounded by people I don't want to be surrounded by, doing things that are, aren't, aren't evil, but it just have to be done, standing in line at the building department or whatever it happens to be, and just getting overwhelmed by the world around us. Anybody else ever have that happen? Well, this is the cure. Singing, I go along life road, praising the Lord. I, you can't do that and not smile. At least on the inside, amen? Uh, the Bible tells us that making melody in your heart. If you can keep your heart singing, I'll tell you this, the rest of you will follow along. I've often tried to put it this way. Emotions are like little children. If you don't run them, they will run you. Amen? How do you solve that problem? How do you keep those emotions from carrying you places where you don't want to go? And and right here is the answer. Making melody in your heart to the Lord. The second part of it is verse 20, and, and we need to keep moving here. 
giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's an easy verse to read. But when's the last time you've exercised that? Giving thanks always for all things unto God. I I will tell you, last Thursday morning, uh, no, Friday morning, as we were leaving the Nashville area, trying to head east to get back here, and all of a sudden the temperature gauge starts going in the van. Uh, My first thought was not giving thanks to God and the Father in all things. Lord, why does it have to break down again? Well, you know something? If we will just stop and let God be in charge, We'll find out that we need a lot less of the acid reflux medicine and uh, other things as such that keep us all riled up inside if we can just simply trust God. Being unthankful is charging God with having done something wrong. Remember that the next time something goes wrong. Uh, And I always try when somebody says, Oh, my God, it's not his fault. And they look at you kind of weird and say, listen, don't blame God. I remember standing in line at the post office one time and the person was cursing Jesus' name. I said, listen, I said, don't curse Jesus. Why don't you go curse the person behind the counter? They're the one causing the problem. I said, you won't do that because they'll throw you out of here. And he stopped cursing Jesus anyway. Uh And don't try everything your pastor does, all right? Uh, You might get in trouble. Uh, But uh, let's, let's understand the will of the Lord and let's maintain that right kind of speech in us, giving thanks to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 22, 21, I'm sorry. Now, this is the one... Oh, my. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Oh, my. That is the one that really needs to be skipped over in our Bible reading. I mean, it's a short verse. We can just keep moving. Next verse. I mean, the next verse is, Why? Submit yourselves unto your husbands. Now, I could preach on that one for a long time. Uh, but if you don't do verse 21, don't ever expect verse 22 to come out right. You see, what Paul is going to do here is he is transitioning once again, and he's going to start in verse 22 with husbands and wives, and then he's going to deal with uh, children in chapter 6, and he's going to deal with servants, and he's going to deal with masters. Now, let, uh, let me just ask you a question. If you're... Uh, a husband or a wife, uh, or if you're not one of those, you are somebody's child. Amen? Uh, If you're not serving in a place, if you're not an employee, as we might say today, then you're the boss. So uh, every part of your life is going to be characterized in these next several verses here. But none of it's going to work. 
None of it can work unless we understand. Okay, here's what the will of the Lord is. To be not drunk with wine, to be filled with the Spirit. To speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. To give thanks always. The will of the Lord is submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Do you know that God has patterns of authority? He has lines of authority that He has established. There, there is a line of authority in the church. Our church, as a church, is answerable directly to Jesus Christ. We would never want to advocate that authority to some denominational headquarters or some group of people. That is our duty as a church, as a pastor. Uh, I am supposed to lead the church, but that doesn't do any good unless somebody's willing to follow. And so we, we have some things that God has set up here where if we're going to make things work, we've got to submit ourselves one to another. Do you know what? If you're going to have a relationship with another human being, uh, you're going to have to submit your ideas to theirs. And they, when it really works out nice, is when they submit theirs to yours. And I always like to, as the Bible often touches on this subject, I'd like to bring it into the larger subject that we as an American, uh, as Americans like to talk about. We like to talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, don't we? Well, this submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God is what Thomas Jefferson was describing when he coined the phrase, the pursuit of happiness. What he was talking about was the sacrifices that each person must make so that society as a whole can go forward. He wasn't talking about pursuing what makes you happy. Uh, I get so tired when someone says, well, listen, I like to listen to my music loud. And I'm going... Yeah, I know, but your car is on the street and the windows are closed and you just woke my children up who are sleeping upstairs in their beds. Oh, I didn't know there were any kids. Oh, it's a church. I live in the building. Would you mind turning the music down a little bit? It's midnight. That happens on occasion. Why do people think they have the right to do that? Well, it's called selfishness, is it not? The number one sin that we deal with in society today is selfishness. If you really want to understand what... I have not been watching the impeachment and all these things. just haven't had time this week to pay attention. But I will tell you, if we could get unselfishness in a syringe and line up those Congress people and our president and all these politicians and just give them a shot... It would all be over in an hour. Because what is really going on there is selfishness. I want my way. I want my way. Uh, And what we're trying to do here in the church 
is understand that if we're going to serve Jesus Christ His way, we all have some edges that need to be filed off. We all have certain things in our life where, where you know, the, the whole world is looking for what is the term today is relevance. Oh, I just, I just want to know that what I'm doing is important. Well, I will tell you this. If God said to do it and you do it because God said it, that makes it important. Hello? And if I have to not be so vocal on some things or change a few things about myself so that I can serve better. You know, I'm thankful for the last, uh, I keep forgetting here, 27 years. I've been the pastor of the church. I'm I'm in charge. Uh, I, I still... Love to think about the guy who came in and said, I want to talk to your boss. I said, there's the altar. Get on your knees. Talk to God. No, that's not what I, I... I want to talk to your superior. I said, he's the only one I got. I love to have fun with foolish people. Sorry. Because I don't have time to, all, to play all the games that everybody wants to play. We have to be wise. We have to redeem the time. But there are many things, and I'm not here to give a list tonight of things that I've had to change in my life so that I can stay as the pastor of this church. I've had to build a lot of things, like bunk beds and a big kitchen table and, and things just so we can fit in the building. And, and that's, that's not a bad thing. That's not a sacrifice because we do those things so that we can be obedient. That's what the fear of the Lord is is simple obedience to the Lord. I remember uh, I used to love to carry my tracks right here in my coat pocket. And uh, I remember just going down the street, reaching in, passing out tracks. I was getting kind of dark, and and, uh, I was by myself, and I saw this lady coming up, and I said, man, I'm going to give her a track. So I reached my hand in my pocket, and and, uh, she gets a little closer, and I pull it out, and I said, can I give you a gospel track? And she goes, Yes. And then I just realized what I'd done. I'd scared this poor woman out of her mind. She thought I was pulling out a gun and I was going to do some horrible thing to her. I'll bet that track had a great impact on her life. No, I am sure that she threw it away at the first opportunity that she could get rid of it and get away from that crazy guy that scared me so badly. So uh, I carry my tracks out front so people can see. uh, I don't want one of those. No, no, this is from the Bible. Oh, okay, I'll take one. And sometimes people say, I don't want that. Well, fine. Uh, I'm just giving you an opportunity. The Bible tells us to do that. Amen? You see, this idea of submitting yourselves to one another. How about our nursery workers? Do they submit themselves to one another in the fear of the Lord? How many of you ladies have worked in a nursery? You know exactly what I'm talking about. That is not the greatest place to work. 
Our children's church workers have to be out of services so they can help and work and train those children so that when they get old enough, they can sit in services. How about missions giving? Is that not submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord? I want to tell you, uh, every major statistic in our church was down this year pretty seriously, except our missions giving. And uh, that makes the others a little easier to handle. But you know what? We have some people who are submitting themselves one to another in the fear of the Lord in taking funds that could be used for something else and allowing our church to go forward for the cause of missions. This is what the verse is talking about. It's I am sure if you've been around this church long enough, you've met someone who's rubbed you the wrong way or who's done something that's been somewhat offensive. Uh, Welcome to the human race. Uh, Our church is full of imperfect humans. But you know how we get along with people? And uh, my joke was always John Rivera. He was the longest member of our church because he never heard me preach. He's deaf. And... uh, uh, we we enjoyed that. Now he's up at uh, Brother Franz's church in the Bronx, and and, and we're we're just going to keep going forward. And uh, I'm under no illusions, but I will tell you this: you'll enjoy the sermons more if you submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Everything works in the church in our service to Christ, in understanding what the will of the Lord is, Paul is summarizing this, really, the entire book of Ephesians to this point with this one phrase. This is how we ought to behave as Christians. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly